you have your Bible, let's open up to Joshua chapter 6. We'll be going there in just a second. Last week we covered the issue of um, the spirit of giving, how to give, how it's to be done, how it's not to be done. Tonight we're going to cover the issue of uh, when do we give, where do we give, and is monetary giving to be done on the Sabbaths or holy days of Almighty Yahweh. You know, in early times in the Bible, there was something known as a treasury for the work of Yahweh. And when I say the word treasury, it's a very familiar word, and we often think of it as some people or persons that hold money that is stored up and things like that. Let's look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 19. This was after uh, the Israelites had taken the city of Jericho. And in verse 19 it says, But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto Yahweh. They shall come into the treasury of Yahweh. Verse 24 says, And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of Yahweh. Now the word treasury here in the Hebrew is the word otsar, and it simply is defined by Strong's as a depository. It's translated as armory, cellar, garner, storehouse, treasure, treasure house, and treasury. Matter of fact, in Malachi, I won't turn there, we're very familiar with the place in Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10, which we'll get to probably in the next oh, couple of weeks or so where the Bible says that they were to bring the tithes into the storehouse. So that word storehouse is otsar. It's the same word translated here as treasury. And so we know from that passage that the tithes went into the treasury. And we know here from this passage that certain things from the, from the capture of Jericho also went into the treasury of the house of Yahweh. So the treasury was a place of deposit to bring things in honor of Yahweh or in the help finances for the work of Yahweh, whatever it may be. We've dealt with works of Yahweh that can be ministers, works of Yahweh that can be ministries, by not necessarily people known as pastors or bishops or things of that nature, but simply people that desire maybe missions, things like that, people that go on to work for Yahweh, and we've covered that, I believe, in the book of 3 John or 1 John. I can't remember which one it is. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 7. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 51. It mentions Solomon in relation to the treasury of Yahweh. The Bible says, So was ended all the work that King Solomon made for the house of Yahweh. And Solomon brought in the things which David his father had dedicated, even the silver and the gold and the vessels did he put among the treasures of the house of Yahweh. Same Hebrew word, different English translation. Treasures here. And this time and time and time and time again in the Old Testament. I did a word search. I want, I want to say, you don't quote me on this, around 70 times that this word is used in the Hebrew. And it denotes a depository, something to help the finances and the things of the work of the house of Yahweh, the keeping up of the, of the temple there under the Old Covenant. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27. And we'll look at a few places here in the Evangels, commonly known as the Gospels, that mention the treasury. We're going to go to verses uh, 3 through 6, something we've probably all read, but we've really never noticed exactly this part of these verses. But in Matthew 27, verse 3, it says, Then Judah, which had betrayed him, this is Judah Iscariot, or Judah Iscariot, when he saw that he was condemned, 
repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Now this was obviously the 30 pieces of silver that he sold out for. And he betrayed the Messiah there with a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 4, it says, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. So they pretty much told him, look, we're not concerned about, about you. You see to it yourself. Verse 5, and the Bible says, he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Verse 6 is the key verse. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And so the point here is that they make a, a specific reference to the treasury of Yahweh here in the book of Matthew 27. And they state that the 30 pieces of silver were specifically not lawful to put in there because they were blood money. And I believe they purchased a field and they called it the field of blood. Also look at Mark chapter 7 where we find an interesting passage that we've also spoken of here. Several of us have made mention of this in times of Bible study or in uh, discussions after the Sabbath services or new moon services. Mark 7, verse 5. The Bible says, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And, you know, we need to remember that in our lives. That's not the subject of the message tonight, but, you know, it's easy to honor Yahweh with lip service. It's easy to love our wives, men. It's easy to love our neighbors with lip service. But it's another thing to honor them in deed and in truth. First John 3.18, Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so, could or would the Messiah have maybe said to us in certain situations in our life, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, Matthew? You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. That's what he was talking to the Pharisees about. And we'll see what's going to happen here. Verse 7, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of Elohim, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of Elohim, that ye may keep your own tradition. Let's stop right there for a second and just kind of ponder on that. You know, not only did it happen with the Pharisees, but it happens many times with people in religion today. And let's not be a people that dare not apply it to our own selves. Let's apply it to our own selves. A lot of times we point fingers at the religious world today, and the Bible teaches that we need to point fingers at false prophets and things. And If the blind lead the blind, they'll fall into the ditch, the Messiah said. But let's also apply it to ourselves. And let's think, you know, there are times in my life I know when I've exalted a tradition above the word of Yahweh, whatever it may be, and I may have rejected the commandment of Yahweh in doing that. And you know, the Bible says that when, when you do that, the Bible says that it is vain worship. And when you do something in vain, it means that it's meaningless. You think about that. You can actually, actually worship Yahweh in a, and it be totally meaningless because you exalt the tradition of man above the word of Yahweh. As I think Brother Jerry Kendall said a couple Sabbath services ago about Isaiah, the first chapter, where their hands were full of blood. And where when they worshipped Yahweh on the Sabbaths and the new moons and the set feasts, it was in vain. 
when they made many prayers, it was in vain. Proverbs 28 9, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Yahweh's eyes is open unto the righteous and his ear to their cry. But the face of Yahweh is against him that doeth evil. And so let's not be as the Pharisees did here and reject the commandment of Yahweh to hold to our tradition. Let's go back to the subject at hand. Verse 10, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, now see, Moses said, and we know that Moses said through Yahweh's inspiration. But the Pharisees said this, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of Elohim of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. The word Corban here is none other than the same identical word mentioned in Matthew 27, 3 through 6, where it says treasury. The Greek word is Corban or Corbanus. They simply transliterated it here in Mark 7, verse 11. In other words, they were saying that it was just a gift. Now, before we look into the treasury and how it is to be done today, uh, let's examine just a couple more scriptures which speak of the treasury. Go ahead and turn to Luke 21, 1 through 2. And while you're doing that, I want to quote Thayer's lexicon, Thayer's Greek lexicon, in regards to the word Corban. And I want you to listen to this as you're turning to Luke 21, 1 through 2. Thayer's uh, defines Corban as, quote, of Hebrew and Chaldee origin, respectively, Hebrew 71:33. Then he says, a votive offering and the offering, a consecrated present to the temple fund, by extension, the latter term, the treasury itself, that is, the room where the contribution boxes stood, translated as Corban and treasury, end of quote. Now, let's look at Luke chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 2. I think we spoke of this in another parallel account last week. But in verse 1 it says, And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. This is the Messiah looking up. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And we know the rest of the story and we talked about it last week. But the point of, the, of this is, is that they were casting gifts into the treasury and it was there out in the open. And we know we learned last week that when you give your charitable gifts, you're not to do it to be seen among men. That didn't mean that, you know, the treasury boxes could not be out in the open. It simply meant the motive of the worshiper, the motive of the heart. Matter of fact, there's at least one scholar that I'm aware of that states that his name is Alfred Edersheim, and he states in his book, The Temple, Its Ministry, and Its Services, that these boxes of charity were actually shaped like a trumpet. And he paralleled that with what the Messiah said in Matthew 6, that when you do your alms, you're not to sound a trumpet. Now, I don't know whether or not that's a fact or whether, whether it's fiction. But nevertheless, he made the parallel, and it seemed fitting that the Messiah may would say, look, don't sound the trumpet. And maybe they would sound the trumpet when they placed that change in there and make, made sure it really clanged a whole lot. You know, and I thought I had that thought, but you know, neither here nor there, you know, we know what the Bible says on that. Um, also, one last passage here in the Evangelist. Let's look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 20 is simply just another reference to the treasury. This is where the Messiah was teaching the things pertaining to the kingdom of the Almighty Yahweh. John 8 and 20, the Bible says, 
These words spoke Yahweh Shua in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Now what all of this shows, and there's much more passages that I could go to tonight, but those are sufficient to show that there were treasuries all throughout the Scriptures in order to provide proper funding for the temple, for upkeep of the temple, for ministerial work under the New Covenant, as well as for missions work as well. And this would show that there can be a treasury in the assembly of Yahweh designated to the work of Yahweh, which would include things, as, and I may have said these before, but I'll say them again. One, a place to come together, because we know that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So therefore, there would be authority for us to have a building to come together in. We know that they did meet in their houses sometimes in the Bible. The Bible says the assembly that is in their house, speaking of uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Upkeeping the place or the meeting house of Yahweh. Uh, ministerial offerings, whether it be for ministers or or radio broadcast, or literature publications, or, or missions work, or things like that that people endeavor in, and any other thing that would be in accordance with scriptural mandates that you might be able to think of that I just hadn't been able to ponder up this past week. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, because in this passage, or in this chapter, <clears throat> many people today will say that this is authority for a treasury in the New Covenant Assembly, and I don't believe that it is. I definitely, you know, tried to see their side of the issue, but I just can't seem to see exactly what they're saying. We'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. Let's read 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2, where the Bible says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the assemblies of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, whatever he may be prospered in, that there be no gatherings when I come. Now, let's look at seven points on these two verses. Point number one, this was a collection for the saints. He was instructing here the church at Corinth, and obviously, according to verse one, he had also given this same order to the churches of Galatia, that is, the called out ones or the ecclesia of Galatia. What was he instructing them on? The giving for the saints. What saints? Well, we'll find that there at this time, were poor brethren or saints, holy ones, that were living in Jerusalem and that they needed relief and that these Gentile assemblies needed to help out the Judahite assemblies in the land of Jerusalem. Let's turn to Romans chapter 15, which speaks of this ministering of the saints. We're going to begin reading at verse 25. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, says, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. Now, he's not just talking about preaching as we would think ministering, but he's talking about uh, their material needs. And the Bible, we talked about that, I think, in part one of this series, where the Bible says that there were certain women that would follow the Messiah and they would minister unto him. And that means that they would supply him with food and shelter and, and clothing and things that he needed because he was a minister. And Luke 10 and 7 says that a laborer is worthy of his hire. Okay, verse 26 the Bible says, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And so not only was he instructing the churches in Corinth or Galatia, but also in Macedonia and in Achaia. And it's not coming to me right now about the churches in Achaia, but I know that in the region of Macedonia, that included the Philippians, that included the Thessalonians, and it also included the Bereans of Acts 17 and 11 in the region of Macedonia. If you look on it 
in a map. Maybe you have one in the back of your Bible. You look at the Macedonia region, it will include those three areas. And so he was instructing not only Corinth, Galatia, but also at least three more assemblies in Berea, Thessalonica, and in Philippi concerning this collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Verse 27, It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Now what Paul is saying here is that these people in these Galatian, Corinthian, Thessalonican churches were Gentiles. And he said they shared in spiritual things with the Judahites because the gospel was first preached to the who? The Judahite. Then also to the who? The Greek or the Gentile or the nation. Now, because the Gentiles shared with the Judahites in the spiritual things, speaking of salvation, specifically in Acts chapter 10, with the salvation of Cornelius and his household, then it's not too hard of a thing that these Gentile assemblies share in their material things with the saints of Jerusalem. Let's turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Okay, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of Elohim bestowed on the assemblies of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And so here, this is after 1 Corinthians was written, obviously 2 Corinthians. But he was telling and he was kind of bragging on the assemblies of Macedonia, which was Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And he was bragging on them because they were giving very liberal or in liberality or not of necessity or grudgingly, but cheerfully to the poor saints of Jerusalem. Moving on down to verse uh, 13, he says, Corinthians, for I do not mean that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want. Their want meaning the poor saints at Jerusalem, your abundance meaning the assembly there at Corinth that he was writing to. That there may be equality, then verse 15 says, As it is written, He that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. And so what he's saying here is this, is that because the uh, Macedonian assemblies had the ability to give unto the poor saints, that they should do so. Not that they be burdened and that the poor saints at Jerusalem be eased, but that there might be an equality or an equality among the saints of Yahweh. The instructions concerning the, the collection were specifically for the relief of the poor brethren in Jerusalem. And the collection was brought by the Apostle Paul. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 3. Now we read verses 1 and 2. And in verse 3... The Apostle Paul says this. He says, And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. What is bringing the liberality? Well, it's bringing the gift. He's going to bring the gift unto Jerusalem. That is, he's going to put over this work, whomever ye shall approve, or they approve by their letters. And in Acts 24 and 17, the Apostle Paul, when he was on trial, he said that after many years... He came to bring alms and offerings unto Jerusalem. Alms meaning the liberality or the gifts. Offerings meaning the sacrifices or the animals. Now, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 says that this was done on the first day of the week and that each person was to lay by him in store. 
What this means is that they were to do it at their home and not in a church collection plate or even into a common treasury. Green's interlinear Bible reads literally, quote, Every first of a week, each of you by himself let him put, storing up whatever he has prospered, that not when I come, then collections there be. Now, someone might object, and I've had people object to this, by saying that if they just stored it up themselves at their home, then there would have to be a collection when Paul came. But that's not the meaning of the passage. For number one, that interpretation disregards what the passage actually says. The passage says, literally, that they were to store up by themselves or at their home. In other words, they weren't, they weren't going to a first day of the week service where they were going to give in a collection plate that was passed around. Now, that seems like what the passage is saying to Christian churches, quote-unquote Christian churches, that pass a collection plate every Sunday. They say, well, this probably is the authority for that. But that's a complete eisegetic interpretation. This was a one-time thing for the poor saints in Jerusalem, and they were to treasure and store up their liberality and their gift at their home. Why? So the Apostle Paul, when he came, would not have to instruct them in this gathering for the poor saints of Jerusalem. You see that? See, if he came and he didn't instruct them in this, then when he got there, he'd have to put all this effort into this, this contribution for these saints. So he went ahead and wrote them letters ahead of time and said, look, go ahead, by yourself, store up on the first day of the week as you have been prospered by Yahweh, that when I come, I'm not going to have to command you in this and there need not be gatherings made. It can quickly be gathered up by me and I can take it to Jerusalem for these poor brethren. That's what he was saying. Now, I've got an article here entitled A Sunday Sabbath in 1 Corinthians 16.2, an example of eisegesis by Dr. Daniel Botkin. And if you would, I'd just like to read a portion of this article because he brings out some excellent points in this. And he's dealing with Sunday and Saturday, so just bear with him as he talks. He says, quote, Seeing a Sunday Sabbath in this verse is a perfect example of what is called eisegesis as opposed to exegesis. The difference between these two words is best understood by noting the differing pre prefixes eis into and ex out of. Exegesis is the act of drawing the true meaning out of a Bible text. Eisegesis is reading some idea that is not actually there into the text. Eisegesis generally happens when the reader looks at a text through the eyeglasses of his own habits and surroundings, rather than by putting himself in the shoes of the original readers to whom the text was addressed. Let's stop quote right there. Do you see the importance of that? When we interpret the Bible, we have to kind of transport ourselves in some kind of time machine, so to speak, back there and realize the life setting, the circumstances, and the situations that surrounded those people in those days in order to properly understand the instructions that were given in any of the books of the Bible. Let's continue. Quote, Christians who had been in the long habit of going to church on the first day of the week and seeing the collection plate passed every Sunday think that in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2, Paul was telling the Corinthians to take up a collection at church every Sunday. After all, Paul and the Corinthians were Christians just like us, weren't they? Question mark. A close look at this verse shows that this is not at all what Paul had in mind. Paul was not telling the Corinthians to take up a public offering at church every Sunday. On the contrary, he was telling them to individually and privately set aside an amount of money at the beginning of each week so that they would have some savings accumulated by the time he arrived. That way there would be no need to take up collections after Paul arrived. The funds that were being raised to help the poor saints in Jerusalem would be collected and ready to send as soon as Paul arrived. 
The following verse makes it very clear that this is what Paul had in mind. Quote, And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I sing in to bring your liberality gift unto Jerusalem. End quote. 1 Corinthians 16.3. He continues, Anyone who still thinks that Paul might be talking about a public co- collection on Sunday can look at a Green's Interlinear Bible. J.P. Green's Interlinear New Testament shows that the phrase translated every one of you or each one of you, NASB, NIV, TEV, etc., literally says each of you by himself. And that's what it says. I've looked it up. Although I do not usually care for the NIV Bible, the NIV does make the meaning clear in this verse. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. End of quote. Why on the first day of the week wasn't payday on Fridays? As a Seventh-day Sabbath keeper, I can understand the benefit of using the first day of the week to do my financial planning for the coming week. Monday through Friday, I go to the post office each day to get mail. If there are checks that come in from readers, I write thank you notes and set the checks aside. I do not go to the post office on Sabbath, but I go after Sabbath is over, either Saturday night or Sunday morning. Then on Sunday, the first day of the week, I begin my weekly financial chores. I record the week's donations in the books and in a card file. I endorse the checks, total them, and get the deposit ready for my weekly trip to the bank on Monday. If I could, I would complete the task by making the deposit on Sunday, but of course the bank is closed that day. At the same time, I also look at my own personal expenses for the coming week and figure how much money I will need to deposit in my personal account to cover bills and how much cash I will need for the week. Because I am in the habit of keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath and doing my weekly financial chores on the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 makes perfect sense to me. If I were to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul with these instructions, I would understand what he was telling me to do. And I guarantee one thing. I would not imagine that Paul was telling me to put my offerings into a public collection plate each week at a Sunday Sabbath service. End of quote. Very well said by Dr. Daniel Botkin there. The passage is not at all giving biblical authority, neither generic or specific authority, for a collection at church on the first day of the week. It's also not giving any authority for a treasury. This passage does not even concern a treasury. It's talking about storing up something for the poor saints at your house so when Paul comes, he can get it from Corinth, Galatia, Macedonian, and Achaia churches and take it to Jerusalem for the poor saints. Now, just because 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2 does not speak of a treasury, this does not negate a treasury because there are many other passages in the Bible that would authorize us to have a treasury. Treasures are mentioned throughout Scripture in order to accomplish the work of Almighty Yahweh. They were given by believers. The gifts were given by believers in the family of Yahweh. And therefore, and, and I'd like to get this more orderly, and maybe we'll discuss it maybe at a Bible study with the, the brethren here in the assembly. But we therefore need to all be willing to give as Yahweh has prospered us for the upkeep of this assembly and for the work of the ministry and for the poor saints as they come and as they go. Also, number three, very briefly, let me just say this. Are we to give on Sabbath and feast? And I made a statement last week as I was re-listening to the message that didn't really come out right like I really meant it to sound. But I made it sound as though you couldn't give unto Yahweh on like a Sabbath or a, or a, a feast day, but that's why Paul said to do it on the first day of the week. But I don't believe that. I, I believe that giving to Yahweh is a spiritual giving. Someone may object and say, well, you're not to do monetary things on Sabbath, and that's true. But when you give to Yahweh or when you put place money into a treasury on Sabbath, that's not worldly monetary things. 
That's a service of Almighty Yahweh. You know, when the priest offered up sacrifices in the temple on the Sabbath day, the Bible said they profaned the Sabbath, but yet they were blameless. Why? Because it was ministerial work. That's what it was. And Yahweh exempted that from proper, you know, no work on the Sabbath. The same thing goes, and I can't find a single place in the Bible that says that you shouldn't give unto Yahweh or to the work of Yahweh or to a minister or to missions or to the upkeep of the house of Yahweh. On Sabbath, it's very fine to do. And so what I'd like to do, and like I said, we'll probably bounce this around at Bible study, and I would uh, like to go ahead and schedule one with the brethren. I'd like as many of y'all that can come to come, and we can talk about this. But I'd like to maybe get a, a treasury box and um, and uh, get this thing in order and do it properly, and uh, that way we can upkeep this place, the house of Yahweh, that it's not burdened upon any one person, maybe a point of treasury and things like that. But I think that that's definitely biblical, scriptural. I think it's something that the Messiah would do and that we have authority for. So praise Yahweh. Let's all stand. I want to remind each and every person, next week we're going to begin talking about tithing. And uh, probably, probably is going to stretch over two messages more in this series. So I want to encourage everybody to come.